Welcome, and thank you for joining with us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. As associate pastor, Barry Murray shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. We're going to be in uh, uh, Psalms chapter 23 today. Psalms 23. You may think that's an unusual place to go because everyone knows Psalm 23. You learned it as a little kid. The lost people love Psalms 23. They love to quote it and use it in their lives. And, and uh, I'm going to say this. I, I wrestled the uh, beginning of the week trying to know exactly. I had one lined up before Last weekend, the marriage treat, I knew I was preaching this morning. I wanted to be prepared. And uh, I got back Monday to the office, and the Lord kept telling me, not that one, not that one. I want you to do something else. So uh, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And, uh, I, and I just to be honest with you, uh, after this past weekend, but God knows what he's doing. And there's no doubt in my mind today why God changed a sermon idea for me. But I got to tell you how successful our marriage retreat was last week. And uh, some of you know we were gone, had a marriage retreat, and about 38 of us, I think there was, and we, we busted the coastline wide open and uh, had a good time. And uh, we had from just honeymooners to like 185-year-old people married that long. It, just, it was amazing. But, uh, but we had a good time last week and enjoyed it. And it was interesting to see how the, really just a day and a half went, but it was interesting to see how we grew closer together as a group. Uh, Sunday morning, we were actually talking to each other, and uh, we were sitting close together for breakfast together and even the other group, and it was very interesting. It was a good time, but we learned some things, and uh, so I, I tried to share this. So this is one of the things that I think we learned, and even God can't figure out. I've got to get fine prints, so I need my glasses on this. A man was walking along the California beach one day, and he was deep in prayer. And all of a sudden, the Lord yelled out at him, I will grant you one wish. Suddenly, the sky clouded above his head and a booming voice, the Lord said, because you're, cause you tried to be faithful in me in all ways, I will grant you one wish. And the man prayed, he said, Lord, my request is this. I want you to build a bridge to Hawaii so I can drive over there anytime I want to go. And the Lord said, your request is very materialistic. Think of the enormous challenge for that kind of undertaking to be done. The supports required to reach the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, the concrete and the steel it would take. I can do it, but I'm having a hard time justifying doing that through this worldly desire that you have. Take a little more time. Think about something else maybe I'll give you as a wish, something else you may want to have. And the man thought for a long time, and he finally said, Lord... I wish I could understand women. I want to know how they feel on the inside, what they're thinking, when they give me the silent treatment, when they cry, when they mean what, they, what it means when they say nothing. I truly want to understand what I need to do to make a woman happy. And the Lord replied, do you want two lanes or four lanes on that bridge? <laughs> 
So that's what we learned last week at the marriage retreat was, uh, it ain't nothing we can do, it's just the way it is, but anyhow, if you would, just a little levity to get us going. If you would stand with me as we read Psalms chapter 23, if you would, many of us can quote all of it, but let's stand as we respect God's word this morning. Verse number one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And this is the verse for this morning. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Lord, so much for this wonderful psalm that many of us can quote it. Many of us think of it very often as we're going through different things of life. Many of us use this text. We have nothing else to say to somebody. We just quote this. And Lord, today, may you open up this one little verse to our eyes today. May our, our hearts see something it hasn't seen before. May our mind be at peace when we see the promises of the scripture May we understand no matter what we're going through in this life, you'll be there. You will be there. Please give us listening ears and listening heart. In the name I pray this morning. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I have two titles for this morning's message. And I'm not sure what we're going to show or not show. But the first one is, He is with us. And the second one, which is basically the outline of the message today, is there are seven Bible valleys I want to talk about this morning for the message. I don't know, I've already said, how many of another scripture that brings more comfort to those who know the Lord and love the Lord and those who don't. The world uses this psalm to help them in times not knowing what to say. I guess this passage of the Bible uh, that has comforted many hearts and many troubled souls. It strengthened back the weary travelers. It encouraged the spirits of the brokenhearted than Psalms 23 has done to people. The Lord is my shepherd, as the little girl said. And then she said that I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. I don't need anything else in my life because the Lord is my shepherd. Here we see courage and comfort. And I will say this, and this is kind of going to be a topic of, of the message this morning to help us learn something but you know, death is a supreme test of life. This is not just talking about the deathbed. It's talking about uh, from the moment you and I became life, death has been the end, humanly speaking. When a person is born, he starts down this great canyon, and this canyon is the valley of the shadow of death. And all of us will walk down that shadow of death at some time or another if the Lord tarries. And someone has said, the moment that gives you life begins the moment it takes it away from you. Another one has said, the shadow of death is on all of us. But while we're all walking through this valley, it says in verse number four, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. 
This is encouraging us. It gives us comfort. It gives us hope. It gives us uh, the, the security blanket, if you would, that God is there to comfort us and to keep us and help us in life. So for the outline of this message, thinking about this verse of the valley of shadow of death, I picked out seven uh, b- valleys in the Bible and what they mean and what their significance is and what spiritual uh, truth we can attach to them to help us in our life as we think about him being with us. I want you to notice these valleys. And when we notice these, I want you to realize God is still with us, even in the valley. Isaiah 22.1 talks about the valley of vision. And Jerusalem is called the valley of vision. If you read there verses 1 and a few other verses there in the chapter, he's talking about this valley of vision. It was a hill that was situated uh, and then surrounded by a valley. And that's where Jerusalem was put at. And uh, beyond that was a place where God revealed himself to only the people but also to his prophets. The land of Judah abounded with many fruitful valleys. And though he had been as a towering mountains because of this judgment of God, they would be brought low and sunk down. And we see in the Bible often talks about bringing your low places up and taking your high places down and straighten out the road for us to travel. And it's been called the Valley of Vision because God was known and his name was great. Isaiah 22, 1 says, the burden of the Valley of Vision. What aileth thee now? Thou that art worthy, aren't worthy gone up to the housetops. In verses 8 and 9 and 10, he talks about this valley and these uh, different places in life where we go. From, we go from mountaintops to valleys, and we go from here low to high in our, in our Christian life. And mountains of vision would be understood because the mountain is a place that you could see afar off. And our looked, Lord looked over Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. But in Scripture, and I want to get to the outline here. In Scripture, a valley symbolizes a place of sorrow a place of humbleness, and, yes, a place of death. And there are times in all of our lives when we experience these valleys of visions to give us a vision or a hope that we may grow in the Christian life as God would have us to grow until we ultimately grow with him in eternity. So I want to give you these seven valleys this morning for the outline. Uh, they'll be easy enough to remember. And, uh, and I think hopefully it'll be helpful to you. And I'll keep your attention. Uh, but realize some are short and some are long. I won't tell you which ones are which. Number one is called the Valley of Siddim. The Valley of Siddim. Genesis chapter 14, verse 10. And the Valley of Siddim was full of slime pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Uh, fled uh, and fell there and there they remained fled to the mountain or you could say number one not only the valley of Siddim but the valley of sin I couldn't get away from the topic this week as I studied this and went above us again I got to make sure I cover this topic because it's very clear in scripture with the other ones that sin is a valley that all of us deal with all of us the valley of slime pits it sounds ooey and gooey and, and a mess and it sounds like a boy thing. But the very spot where the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were 
We know that where God rained down fire and brimstone from, from uh, heavens upon them, this valley where sin abounded represents the valley in our lives, the valley of sin. And I'm not here this morning to go down a list of sins. I'm not here, uh, uh, here tonight to tell you all the things that you shouldn't be doing or what you should be doing because I understand this and I've learned this over the years. The Holy Spirit of God does a much better job of convicting than I do. But I will tell you this, you're very foolish if you don't listen and find out what sin he's convicting you about and do something about it. Because it's basically slime pits. And you're heading toward a place you don't want to get to. You're heading toward a Sodom and Gomorrah type experience, if you would. And when you go to that very bottom, no one uh, really cares about where you're at. No one really uh, cares uh, that you're there. In fact, they're helping you get there, by the way. But I'll tell you this, God is there. God is there. The prodigal son thought he knew better than his dad knew. And he came to his dad. You all know the story. He came to his dad and said, Dad, I'd like to have the, my portion of my inheritance that I can have right now. And I won't go through all the, the issues with that and all that stuff. And dad gave him uh, his inheritance that he felt was fair to him. And uh, he, he went off and lived a life of sin. And he went to a far country. He didn't stay close by. Boy, he'd be really in trouble today with social media, wouldn't he? Because you could not outrun social media. They find out where you're at. But uh, he went to a far country and he found himself one day. And I won't go through all the things I imagine happened to him. But he found himself sleeping with the swine. And I love the phrase, when he came to himself. When he came to himself. Why would you come to yourself? I'll tell you why. Because God is there. And you belong to him. He's not going to let you go. He's going to do his best not to allow sin to take over your life and give, do what he can to convict you enough to have you take care of that sin and deal with that sin. And, and I fear in the day we live in, we've learned how to get by with our sin and not worry about it anymore. But the wage of sin still is death. And the prodigal rise and he said, I'm going to go to my father's house. At least I know where he's at. And I know he's there and God is there. The sinfulness of sin lays in the fact that it's against God. Even when the wrong we do is to others or ourselves, it's still against God. And one little flippant youth one day said to his preacher, well, how, how heavy is sin? Is sin 80 pounds? Is sin 100 pounds? Is sin uh, 10 pounds? And the wise preacher said to this young man who foolishly was asking the question, well, let me ask you a question. If I put 400 pounds on top of a dead corpse, how heavy would it be? Or how would that person feel? And the young man said, he wouldn't feel at all. He's dead. And that's how we are sometimes with our sin. We don't realize the weight we're carrying because we're dead. We don't understand what's happening. But we know someday there'll be a day when you come to yourself and you say, oh boy, how did I get here? There's a weight of sin. And the preacher concluded that spirit, too, is deed dead, which feels not the load, is indifferent to God, but God is there. Sin is in the valley that has a, and it has a price for you. You will feel that load sooner or later. It'll come around. One day in a church service, a fine-looking dressed lady, the pastor noticed while he was preaching as she was there in the service and wondered what her story was. 
And he preached a message about how God cares for everybody and God loves everybody. And God's there for you and God will care for you and he'll take the last step with you if you need to be. He loves you so much. And she came to him afterwards and said, preacher, he said, you don't know who I am. He said, no, I don't know who you are. She said, you don't, you don't know who I am. But she said, I got to tell you something. I wear the nicest clothes. I have the nicest furs. But I'll tell you what, preacher, you would call me a call girl. And I have several men who provide for me. They give me a place to stay. They give me the best clothes and money to buy what I want. They have a nice car to drive. And when they think it's time, they come by and they visit me. And she said to the preacher, do you think that God you spoke about today could love me? And he said, you sure bet he can. God will love you no matter what state of sin you may be in. Of course he does. And of course his son died for sinners. Jesus dipped his own soul into hell for sinners. And this morning, just as a warning in the, in the outline of the, script, of the text today, uh, are you living in the slime pits? Or are you living with the angels? Which one is it this morning? Get out of there. And this morning, if you're here, you've never asked Christ to be your personal savior. You are living in the slime pits. And destruction and where your head is not good. We'll talk about hell in a little bit. But there's a penalty for that. Second valley is this. This is the valley where most of us here this morning are at in our lives. Second one is the valley of Eskel. The valley of Eskel, or what I've termed the valley of decisions. The valley of decisions. Numbers 32, 9 says, For when they went up unto the valley of Esco and saw the land, they discouraged the, the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord thy God had given them. Esco was located right across, uh, right across from the promised land. The Israelites came to the door of the promised land, Canaan's Barnea. Remember, they pointed the 12 spies, and over there in that place, they found milk, and they found honey, and they found grapes so big it took two men to carry the bunch, right? And what is the Valley Esco? It's a place where the Jews made a decision that would change their life. But 40 years earlier, they made the bad choice. They made the wrong decision. And they spent the 40 years running the wilderness and basically everyone over 20 and younger lived. The rest of them died along the journey. They made a bad decision at the valley, at the gate of the promised land. And this morning, every one of us here in this room this morning, we are often at the valley of Eskel. We have to make a decision that will change and affect the rest of our lives. I want to ask you, how's your decision maker doing? How's it working today? I'll tell you this. If your decision maker is full of slime, you're in trouble. Because you're going to make the wrong decision. You're going to go the wrong way. It's where they decided they were going to go forward, not go backwards. And we should obey God. God wants us going forward, not back in the wilderness. But God said, hey, you want to go to the wilderness? Go right ahead. I'll lead you. I'll feed you. I'll clothe you. But you're not going to make it across. It's where they decided to be, to be at their fullest or be at their less. And when you come to a spiritual decision, you should always choose to go forward. Listen. God is not a God of backwardness. He's a God of forwardness. And he may back you up to get your attention, but he wants you to go forward. What is it 
you're battling right now, a decision. Because we have two options. We can decide to go forward maybe in the world, in its system, or we can decide to go forward in God's system. Which direction do we want to go? Where do you, where you want to head? It's a, it's a valley we all have to come to. We all have to make a decision what we're going to do there. What is your decision? I'm pretty sure I haven't always made the right decision. Pretty sure that uh, I've gone backwards sometimes. But I thank God for every time I decided to go forward. Even though I didn't know what was around the other corner. Even though I had no idea what was going to happen. Some of you know our story. Some of you don't know our story. A lot of new folks don't know our story. But in 2018, as we were driving back from vacation with our family in Pigeon Forge, Andrew and I had a conversation in the car, or I guess it was a truck, I guess, in the truck uh, about, uh, about the church I was pastoring. And I said, I, I don't know what this is all about, but I feel like the uh, Lord would have me to resign the church and uh, move on somewhere else. And again, as I said, there's not really, not really a problem, not really an issue. I was planning on staying there, retiring there. Our boys lived there and uh, not too far from our daughter. I thought it would be okay. And, uh, and as soon as I said that, she said, I agree with that. Then I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> because you say something crazy and your wife agrees with it. Brother, it's, it's already in blood. You're, you're, you're stuck. <laughs> and we talked about what to do. So the first decision was how to do it, when to do it. And then the next decision is where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Because that means I'd be without a job. Right? I'd be out of place to go. I don't want to stay in the church, not because of any issues, but I don't want to stay there because I want a new pastor, whoever it may be, to have freedom to do as he chose to do. It's his, be his church. He can do what he wants to. I don't want to be away. I don't want to be in the way whatsoever. In fact, when they were candidating people and I was still there for a few months, I was still there pastoring the church for them. Uh, I never met the candidates, never had a part of the process, didn't have anything to do with it. And uh, but they were like, what are we going to do? I'm then, well, how old was I then? I was 58. Okay, now I know 58 is not old to some of you. And some of you think that's like ancient. <laughs> but we're starting a 58-year-old man having to go out and find another job. So we did some things. We, 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 we gathered around and tried to figure out, okay, what can we do here? What can we do there? I don't know. I went on Indeed. Uh, don't believe the stuff on Indeed. It's a, it's a fake commercial. They want your money. And uh, I'm teasing. And uh, I had a couple contacts and had a couple interviews. And... Uh, uh, and thought I had a job, and right before we moved, the job didn't come through. Uh, I did something I wouldn't advise you. I bought a house online. It was about this big. No, no. I bought a house online. It was right over here in Harding Avenue, right by the McDonald's. And uh, the house was great. The guy just bought it, fixed it up. He's going to flip it. We came along and saw how I bought it. And I said, well, only, only uh, issues. I want to make sure I see it before I sign the dotted line. So I drove right down the next week and saw the house, and we bought it. And I didn't know I was going to be in the wrong neighborhood. I didn't know there was going to be people night and day constantly going by my house to McDonald's. I didn't realize it was that popular of a place. I mean, night and day. 11, 15 one night. Guy knocks on my door. And I'm thinking, he's going to ask for where McDonald's at. It's right there. But anyhow, uh, 
he was looking for an address. He said, I'm looking for a six something. I said, can you see the post right there? It says 625. We are not 615. It's a crazy neighborhood. Uh, it was fine, but I didn't know. I didn't know. Job fell apart. Moved in a house probably where I shouldn't have moved. Some of you would never move there. God, anyhow, I have another sermon. That's another day. And you would never move there, and God bless you for that. But you know what? God used that for stepping stone for what went next. So I started a business when I got down there, a handyman business. I'm kind of handy. I can kind of do some things. So I started a business, and within a couple of months, it was booming. I was turning people down. I didn't know it was going to happen back in June of 2018. But the most, the most wonderful blessing of all that is this. Somebody told us about Central Baptist Church. Hey, I, I was doing something I advised people not to do. Never move somewhere unless you know it was a good church to go to. I counsel people not to do that as a pastor. But look who's doing it, the pastor. <laughs> and I said, and I said, someone said, well, you need to try Central Baptist Church. So little did I know, it's just five minutes away from where that house I shouldn't have bought in the wrong neighborhood. Then I want to know why the church is here. Because it's a bad neighborhood also. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm just teasing. We walked in the door, and I uh, walked in the front door up there. First time he came in, and, and met a fellow. He took us back to class. And I think, well, it's Jimmy Keller's class. Jimmy's in here somewhere. Jimmy Keller's class. We walked back there, and uh, we sat right over here. And I met Hugh Patton. That almost did it for me right there. And uh, he's not here today to make fun of. But uh, here we are, 18 years of our lives. Our kids grew up, went to college from that place. They're moving back in the area. And we left all that. And we're sitting in a church. We don't know anybody. Don't know the soul. Don't know the preacher. Don't know anybody. And this quartet got up to sing. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And they sang, God, you've been good to me. And we cried. Andrew and I sat over there and we cried. Not because we were, uh, we were in the slime pits, not because we were, it was like, is this the place? And Pastor Dean got up and preached the message and preached from the word of God and said, well, he preaches the Bible straight, so we'll hang it out. And here we are. Two years later, hey, would you come work for us? I had no idea. You know what? That never would have happened. It never would have happened if I had gone to the Valley of Esco and said, I'm not moving from here. We stepped out blindly in our 50s blindly and God's still been good to us God's still been good to us you got to go forward you got to go forward you come to the valley ask God to help you to lead you number three I got to hurry no long illustrations on most of them so we'll be good number three the valley of Jehoshaphat he's my favorite guy in the Bible I love saying Jehoshaphat I wish it was Jehoshaphat but uh but uh, I just love I just love saying Jehoshaphat. I just love that word. It's also the valley, also called in the Bible, the Valley of Kidron. The Valley of Kidron. And I've titled this for us this morning, The Valley of Suffering. The Valley of Suffering. 
is a valley between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives, and it's very deep and, and very big. And Joel uh, 3, 2 talks about the fact that he's going to gather all the nations and bring them down this valley of Jehoshaphat. He's going to plead with them there for his people uh, and his, the heritage of Israel. And then he's going to scatter them among the nations. And they said, let the heathen be uh, awakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for I will sit to judge all the heathen round about. But what this valley was used for, you understand even better, it was a cemetery. The cemetery. It's been a cemetery ever since the time of Josiah. Uh, Josiah. Samson's buried there. Samuel's buried there. James is buried there. Absalom's buried there. Many others are buried there. And what is this valley? It is a valley of suffering. We all have times. We go through these periods where we will go through suffering. Now, I know some are worse than others. And I know we think of, first of all, physical suffering and what someone's going through. And, and I've, I've been there. I mean, I've been on the hospital bed and think, oh, man, is it ever going to go away? I, I, I've been there. And I think about that. I said, no, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I don't, I don't think that's what he's talking about necessarily. You're having such a, a medical issue that, that you're there and you're suffering in pain. And agony. Even though that can be part of it, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. Because a cemetery means someone's dead. Well, when you live as a Christian, you're dead to yourself. Doesn't the Bible say, I, I die daily? And we live for ourselves. We die daily to ourselves. There are things that have happened that they, you know, our family, our family thinks we're crazy. Sometimes our people we work with think we're crazy. Sometimes our church people think we're crazy. And the fact of the matter is, we are crazy. But there's suffering that comes along. But, and you and I really can't understand or fathom what true suffering may be like. And we understand really what the heartache may be like. Can, can imagine today if you were living in, in Israel right now. Imagine. There are family members looking for family members still. They don't know where they're at. Some people have parts of family members. They can't find the rest. I don't think you and I can really comprehend that. We, we, we haven't been there. We've been very spoiled and, and, and kept away from those things in America. Yes, the 9-11, the, the, uh, yes, we understand that. But we were thinking about this has been going on for years. Think about Ukraine and all the things going on. People, you listen, I was thinking about this, and I'm, uh, I'm pro-Israel. Don't take me wrong. But you know, there are families in Hamas who are hurting for the loved one they lost the same way. Don't take me wrong. I know they're the enemy, but they've lost family members. They've lost people they love. True suffering, true suffering. Adonira Johnson was a missionary to Burma. He endured seven years of heartbreaking work, hunger, uh, deprivation, uh, he was thrown into prison for 17 months. He was mistreated, and there was marks and scars all over his body from the chains and shackles that he wore upon that time. And upon his release, he asked the ruler, could he return to Burma? And the ruler said, uh, uh, no, you can't go back because the people still won't believe you, but they will be, they will be, they will be impressed by your scars. And that will impress them. Because the scars 
that Adoniram Johnson bore on his body, people would come to Christ, and the leader was concerned about that. Suffering. Suffering. Number four, the Valley of Elah. The Valley of Elah, or as I term for us today, the Valley of the Battle. Or the Valley of the Battle. First Samuel chapter 17, uh, verse 2, Saul and, Saul and, uh, and his men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the Valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. It's a place where battle was fought. It's a place where fighting and war and things were going on there. Uh, Elah, excuse me, was a place where David looked out and he heard Goliath shout out the challenges across the valley. Elah is a place where David slew Goliath. But it was a battle. It was a battle. It wasn't a place that you'd want to go to. And now today we look in our country, at, especially during the Civil War, we have these places where we have these battles and, and they're interesting and they're good to go to. And there's monuments there, monuments in New York and monuments in Pennsylvania where the plane went down and, and in uh, D.C. And that's great and wonderful. But we don't understand to have your whole land ravaged by a battle. And David slew Goliath there. And let me tell you this morning, every one of us, daily have a spiritual battle and we're battling temptation. I don't know what your temptation is. I know what mine is. I don't know what yours is. And we battle every day of our life. Spiritually, we battle to keep ourselves on the straight and narrow. We battle. It's a battle. It's a valley. It's a battle. It's no, no, no good to it. There's no bad to it other than sometimes you may walk out and say, boy, I made it, made it today. Woo! And we battle that every day of our life. We battle the temptation. We, we battle uh, being the right kind of husband, being the right kind of wife, being the right kind of children, uh, being the right kind of leader, being the right kind of church worker, being the right kind of pastor. We battle it every day. Temptation is there. Ah, finally say, who cares? We battle it. But it does matter. And we should care. Because the battle is worth the win at the end. And I've already know I'm going to win. I've been assured I'm going to win. So I'm going to battle every day, even though I don't like battling every day. And we get weary, and we get tired, and we get wore out, and we finally say, oh, fooey on this. And God said, hey, just hang in there. Hang in there. You keep battling. You keep doing what you're supposed to do. It's going to be all right. The valley of Elah, the valley of battle, let me remind us, God is there. In the valley of sin, God is there. In the valley of decision, God is there. In the valley of suffering, God is there. There is not one temptation that you cannot resist because God is there. We do have valleys of battles we must face. And the battles are not fun, but they're needed. And in these great battles we go through, and no one knows about it but you. Wife doesn't know. Husband doesn't know. Friends don't know. Brothers and sisters don't know. Mom and dad don't know. And we battle them every day. And listen, we got to grow strong. And that's why the word of God is so important and we feed on it. See, we're good at snacking. We're not too good at feeding. You understand the difference? I like a good snack. Well, I like the good feeding before the snack. <laughs> and every one of us in this room, we've got to take some time and feed on God's word. So when that battle of temptation comes, we know what to do. We know what to say. We know how we're going to make it. The Valley of Elah. Fifthly, here we're getting close. We may be out of here on time. Keep going. Number five, the Valley of Achor. 
the Valley of Achor, or I've termed it for us the Valley of Chastising. We don't like this word very much. We don't like to be chastised. Some of you, uh, maybe some of you need the terminology this way. We don't like getting beat by God. That's the valley where God chastises those. Joshua 7, 24, Joshua was dealing uh, with Achan and the sin that he stole during the battle, and they lost the battle of Ai because uh, Achan had stole the gold and silver and a new outfit for his wife. And he stole it thinking no one would notice it. But God told him not to take it and not to steal it. And after, after that uh, uh, battle there, uh, and after they lost an Ai, uh, Joshua was told by God, you've got to go ahead and find out who this was and take care of this. And so for a little bit, of, a little coat for his wife, and $185, sin came into the camp. Then the battle of Ai was lost. And Joshua calls everyone together that fell on Achan. And it fell on Achan that he was the man. And what I find so disturbing about this is that not only was Achan, not only was Achan punished for his sin, but so was his family. His wife and his children. If you got children this morning... Please listen to me very carefully. You need to be careful how you deal with God. Because your wife and your children depend on it. And you say, I don't believe that. You can't go through Scripture and deny that. Well, it's not the sin of the Father, not the sin of the Son. It may be, but uh, his, Mrs., Mrs. Aiken and all the little Aikenettes behind them, they all died in a very terrible way, by the way wasn't pretty. I'm sure as people were stoning them, they weren't real happy. I can't believe I'm doing this. Stoning that little boy or little girl or that missus. And I can't believe I'm doing this, but that's what happened. And I'm not saying we should stone people, even though sometimes I think it may help. I can imagine us going to we're going to have a stoning service. Come out and cheer as we stone. You pick the person. I'm not going to name the person. So what's the spiritual thing here for me? God will chastise those whom he loves. So if God is there, he will chastise us. I don't know what that always looks like. I know what people want me to know what it looks like. I don't believe I'm a pastor Dean. I don't believe that if you don't do right by God, he's going to chastise you by giving you a flat tire. I think the problem with the flat tire is you're too lazy to go get it changed. That's me. I don't believe he's going to chastise you run out of gas. If you, can't, you run out of gas, the problem is you can't read the gas meter. It even beeps at you now when you get close, right? I mean, it tells you, you got so many miles left. I mean, that's it, just foolishness. I, I don't buy all that. I don't think you're, whatever's going to happen, uh, but I do believe this. I do believe that there will be a spiritual tor- turmoil war going inside of you that you just can't resist because God's working you over. Humanly speaking, I think you're in a fist fight with God's spirit. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying, to, he's trying to get you to wake up. He's chastising you. He chastises those whom he loves. And one of the things I, I, I shouldn't like the wrong word. One of those things I, I like about chastising is I realize I belong to him because if I wasn't his, he wouldn't chastise me. So I like that in one sense. In another sense, I don't like it. 
But there comes times in our life where God chastises us and tries to get our attention and gets us to wake up what's going on. And it may be something material. It may be something personal. It may be a fellow person you love. It may be you. I, I, I'm not going to get in God's stead here. I, I don't, but I'm not going to say because you end up in the hospital that God's chastising you. I, I don't go that far. But I will tell you this. I believe when I am being chastised, it's one of the sweetest, most tender things I go through because I know that God is working on me. And it's good to know that I belong to him. You know, there's a door of hope when you're disciplined because he cares for you. He wants to straighten you out. Listen, I don't enjoy it, but I know I need it. But friends of ours from years ago, uh, I forgot how many boys there were in the family. They were, they were Canadians. They were farmers in Canada. And uh, he told us a story that every time they came in out of the kitchen, mom spanked them all. And one day he said, why do you spank us? He said, because you're either going through trouble or coming from trouble. So make sure you get this, make sure you get the point here. And uh, never, never, in the face, he tells the story, his face would be beaming. He was so excited to tell the story about that. But listen, when God's chastising you, he's letting you know he loves you. He's not going to let you go by until you get your attention. In the Valley of Siddim or Sin, God is there. In the Valley of Esco or the Valley of Decisions, God is there. In the Valley of Suffering, God is there. In the Valley uh, of the Battle, God is there. In the Valley of Chastening, He is there. And sixth this morning, the Valley of Gehenna. The Valley of Gehenna. Or we say the valley of death. This is where I got from Psalms 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Gehenna. Second Chronicles calls it also the valley of Hinnom. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 22, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whosoever shall say, thou fool, thou shalt be in danger of hell fire, or Gehenna. Jesus also said, use that word in Matthew 10, and Mark 9, and Luke 16, and, and then James chapter 3 talks about how your tongue is set on fire of Gehenna. It's death. Hell is mentioned 54 times in Scripture, and seven times that is used as direct reference to this valley of Gehenna. What is Gehenna? Gehenna was the garbage dump at Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever been around a big city where they burn the trash outside the city. I'll never forget, years ago, 2009, I went to India for a missions trip for 10 days or so. I think that was about how long we were there. And as soon as we got off the plane in Bombay, or not Bombay, it's called Mumbai now, uh, them crazy Hindu people. And uh, anyhow, when we got off, as soon as you got off the plane, there was an aroma like you never smelt before. And that aroma stayed the whole time we were in the country. And it's the aroma of them burning their trash. They didn't have waste management. They had it back in your backyard of your house. You went back and you burned your trash. Where's your trash go? Uh, his name was... Uh, 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 Justice Benwell was his name. Justice, where's, where's the trash go? Oh, put it in the backyard, brother. What's back there? Oh, we burn it. 
So why? Yeah, we burn trash in the backyard. All over India. Smell like you cannot imagine. Imagine this Gehenna outside Jerusalem where they would burn trash. When God spoke about hell, he said there is an eternal Gehenna also. And those who died without Christ, uh, uh, I'm calling this the valley of death, and someday you'll experience that place. Psalms 23, 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's hard for us to comprehend those who would take a chance on hell and not be sure of heaven. I have a hard time understanding how somebody, knowing their penalty of their life is going to be hell and not do something about it. It's not going to be a party. You won't know who your friends are. You won't know who your family are. There won't be no Bud Weiser or Bud Dumber there either, by the way. Won't be there. But some people got the false idea about what hell is going to be like. And why you would ever want think you to be comfortable there in a place like that. But to us, dear Christians, as a believer, there is a physical death if Christ tarries. When we go through those times, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Christ tarries every one of us today is going to walk through those doors of that valley. We're going to sit in that valley and wonder. I wonder what it's be like. Of course, I've heard all kinds of definitions about this, and I'm not trying to be too theological about this this morning, but uh, I think death is highly exaggerated. In fact, the older I get and the more aches and pains I have, I'm ready to say, even come quickly, Lord Jesus. I don't want to live with Arthur the rest of my life. I don't want to live with all the things that some of us have to deal with every day of our lives. But one day, we're going to have a new body. We're going to have a new life. So, as J.K. says, death ain't no big deal. But it's part we have to go through. But there's, there's a fear factor, though. A fear factor, isn't there? Because we've never been there. We haven't been there. But how many people, saints of God, have you seen or heard about in a funeral message that when they passed on, it was as peaceful and quiet as could be because they knew what was going on. The next time you see me, I'll be jumping and hooping and dancing with the angels because death really ain't no big deal. I know, folks, I know it hurts. I've lost loved ones. We've all lost loved ones. We've all sat there in that valley. But when you realize that one day, to me, that person knowing Christ is so much better off than they are here, I'm just jealous of them more than I hurt them, hurt hurt for them. Man, you got to go first. What's the deal with that? Now, I'm looking for the next train now. But we shouldn't make it a big deal. Why? Because God is there in the valley of death. God's there. Then lastly, and probably the most exciting to me, the Valley of Jezreel. The Valley of Jezreel. The last great battle, Revelation chapter 13. The valley is a great, great importance because of the Valley of Jezreel, the great end time battle will take place. And I'll try to be a little, little uh, uh, revelation on you here, then we'll move on here. 
The enemy from the north, which for many years we always thought was Russia, well, really thought was the Soviet Union, and all that keeps changing, you know, it's Baltal, keeps changing, whatever. And I'm going to give you Murray's opinion here. This is Murray's opinion. I think it's Turkey and the nation of Islam, to be honest about it. But I think they all get together, they're all in cahoots. Then China and those from the east and those group and, and Egypt from the south are going to fight this valley uh, against Israel. And all of a sudden, the uh, Western powers are going to come in here like we always think we can. And we're going to come in there and help them out. Whatever's left of the United States and England and the revived Roman Empire. And we're going to come and fight against this northern army and do our best. And this valley is found Mount Megiddo from which uh, the word uh, we get Armageddon from. It's going to be a place for a great last battle, right? And the valley is Jezreel. And the Antichrist will be the victor and to conquer entire world. But then the Lord comes. Here comes Jesus. See him walking on the water. He'd be riding that white horse along with us. We're going to come down. All right, it's over, buddy. It's in, right? He'll be king of kings and lord of lords. And forever we shall reign with him on high, right? That's the last great valley. It's coming. You ready for it? I'm excited. Come today. I know something's got to happen yet, but I like it to happen today. In the valley is where we're going to finally win. But the wonderful thing about that valley, when we all get there together, God will be there. God will be there. In the valley of sin, God is there. In the valley of decision, God is there. In the valley of suffering, God is there. In the valley of battle, God is there. In the valley of chastising, he's there. In the valley of Gehenna or valley of hell, he's there. And in the valley of Jezreel, he's not only there, but he's king of kings and lord of lords. And so shall ever be with the Lord. I was reading this morning early, finishing up my, uh, uh, my own private reading this morning. I just finished the book of Revelation this morning. And I read these verses, and I, so they're not on the notes because I just happened this morning. And I'll take the, uh, I'll print myself to add something to the sermon. How's that? But it says this, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away their tears, all their tears from their eyes, And and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And finally, we are there. We are there. Thank you, Lord, so much for the word of God this morning. God, what a, what a wonderful book you've left us. So many topics in, in the scripture, Lord, that we can point to encourage ourselves and to help us in this Christian life. So many things that we could point out and preach about that you're there. This morning happened to be just valleys. And thank God that when we walk through the valley of shadow of death, we will fear no evil because we know you're there with us. What are some comforting thoughts this morning? We don't know what's out ahead of us. We don't know what the future holds. Other than we know this. That one day, 
will be with you forever. Help us not to fear as we go through these valleys in our lives. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.